Anyan Haseo listeners. Anyan Taylor. Hello. Um, thank you for listening to our last episode. We got such uh, great feedback. Yeah, we got, I mean, a lot of you guys followed us on our social media and we just, we got like a really positive response from you guys. So like, thank you so much for that. Yes. Um, Saranghae. I love you all. <laughs> I've recently <laughs> taken up speaking Korean, so get used to that. I have not. In 100 episodes, I'm just going to do the whole thing in Korean. I will translate to yeah. the best of my abilities. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that, but that would be funny for just me and no one else. April Fool's. We'll yeah. make it an April Fool's prank. <laughs> Decode it. Yeah, yeah. It'll be great. So um, do you have any announcements or anything you want to say before I dive right into this i don't think so i will say though last time when we were doing our introduction i did not mention that i am also a cat mom oh yeah i feel like we just like jumped right into like or i jumped right into like how we met yeah we were nervous so yeah um but i have a cat uh his name is ricky bobby he's a little black cat he's my little spooky boy he is not little he's huge he is not he's huge just he's huge compared to lonnie okay yeah lonnie is pretty tiny she's not like adult but him's a thick boy though he is really big so yes now that we've established that ricky is here we have three sweet little pet babies um yeah i think that's it that's it we (laughs) we just really wanted you guys to know about him so this week i did a lot of work i put i think like 13 hours into my notes i have 14 pages to read holy shit (laughs) (laughs) after i um made all of my edits so hold on to your butts people (laughs) we are diving into a cult called am shinrikyo am shinrikyo is a japanese new religious movement in other words a big fat fucking cult it was founded in 1987 by Matsumoto Chizo, who was known to his followers as Master Asara Shoko. And for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to call him Asara the whole time uh, because I don't want to like flip-flop with names and confuse people. So, Asahara was born March 2, 1955 to a large poor family of tatami mat makers in Yats- Yatsushiro Kumamoto, Japan. So he was born with infantile glaucoma, causing him to lose all sight in his left eye, but leaving a little bit of sight in his right eye. And because of this, Asahara had to go to a school for the blind. Um, But having some sight left in his right eye, he had an advantage over the other children, so he started bullying the other kids by beating them up and forcing them to give him any money that they might have had. Can you imagine, like, being a blind school child and then just like someone comes and decks you in the face that's so sad that is so evil that's so sad i know so asahara graduated school in 1977 and immediately began studying acupuncture in chinese traditional medicine which is a common choice for blind people because they can you know do it pretty easily right um and also acupuncture is sick i always wanted to try that So anyway, the next year, in 1978, he married and began a family with his new wife, who gave birth to their first of 12 children. Twelve children. Gross. And, like, obviously it takes a really long time to have 12 children, so I'm shocked that this woman stayed with him. Like, she stayed with him till the end. 
and I know you guys, that you don't know what's about to happen, but I do, and I'm just like, what the fuck, lady? So, 12 kids? Tw- yes, oh. 12 kids. Like, okay, I, she was still having sex with him that whole time. Like, girl, <laughs> love yourself. So he desperately wanted success coming from a poor family. So he opened up a pharmacy in 1981, which is like, seems like a solid move. Right. Uh, but it wasn't because he was arrested for operating an unlicensed pharmacy and selling unregulated drugs and fake remedies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he didn't have to face any jail time, but he was landed with a charge of 200,000 yen. Today, that would inflate to about 260,000 yen, which is only $2,500 here, like today. Oh, wow. Which isn't like a lot, but it is a lot to someone you know who doesn't have a lot of money it's a lot of money to me (laughs) yeah i I mean yeah it's a lot of money but um for like opening up a fake pharmacy i feel like it should have been more right um so this charge ultimately bankrupted him and his pharmacy had to go under he turned to religion during this time and started studying chinese astrology taoism and then later went on to practice western esotericism yoga meditation esoteric buddhism and esoteric christianity so he like went from like real medicine to like almost holistic yeah okay yeah um so he ended up joining the aganshu school of buddhism one of the main practices there was 1000 consecutive days of offerings and they promised true enlightenment to those who contributed money daily that's like four years yeah, and also a huge scam. Like, how do you hear, yeah, give me money for a thousand days, and then you'll be enlightened. Like, it, that, no, it doesn't no. work like that, bud. You got scammed. <laughs> so despite being bankrupt and struggling to support his family after his pharmacy closing, he completed the course. Uh, but, yeah, big fucking surprise. He never became truly enlightened. With this, what? (laughs) I said word. Yeah. (laughs) With this um, huge disappointment, he decided to just establish his own new religion, and he called it Am Shisen no Kai. He began preaching on street corners, teaching yoga, and healing through herbal remedies out of his one-bedroom apartment in Tokyo where he lived with his wife and children. And at this point, he's got more than one kid. So it's just, like, a lot of people in a tiny apartment. And he's just like, yeah, I'll heal you. Don't (laughs) mind my crying child, though. (laughs) So over the next three years, Asahara's efforts with teaching and healing began to pay off. And this is where he started gaining his first loyal followers. Uh, Despite his growing following, though, his family still struggled with poverty because he wouldn't accept any payments. Uh, He claimed that only the truly enlightened may accept offerings. Uh, but he was cool with selling fake remedies at an unlicensed pharmacy before. So tell me how that makes sense, pal. Makes tons of sense. What are you talking about? Right. In 1984, he changed his name from Matsumoto Chizu to Asahara Shoko, and he renamed his group Am Shinrikyo. <laughs> this is where it gets good, people. Um, so he chose the name Am Shinrikyo because... Um, Am is the Sanskrit syllable that represents the universe, and Shinrikyo means religion of truth. In 1987, Asahara returned home from a religious trip to India, where he claimed he finally obtained his one true goal of enlightenment. 
Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> now that he was enlightened, his disciples quickly offered him money, and he promptly accepted. Um, his following grew really rapidly from there because he, you know, was finally enlightened and his teachings were valid. Um, and he started uh, going on these intense recruitment campaigns, and some of them involved day-long yoga seminars, which kind of sounds sick, not going to lie. Like, I would totally go to a yoga oh, seminar. I would, too. So this is my favorite part. Um, he, so he gained a lot of followers really quickly, and they all gave him a lot of money, and he ended up making enough money to fund a studio to make an anime about him called Choetsu Sakai. Um, he named the studio MAT, which stood for Manga Animation and Team, and this whole uh, ploy was basically to recruit otaku, which is a Japanese word, and I'm going to read you the, the direct uh, definition. A young person who is obsessed with computers or particular aspects of popular culture to the detriment of their social skills. That's me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. They were like, yeah, we want those dumb <laughs> nerds. Bring them in. <laughs> so the series uh, had ten episodes, which mostly focused around Asahara being Christ. I watched a little clip. I did not watch the whole thing, and it was so weird. Okay, but on a side note, can someone make an anime about me being Christ? No, Taylor. Come on. No. <laughs> not unless you're starting a cult. I'll I'm be your first joiner. Our podcast can be a cult. Oh, yeah. Real cult shit, people. You're in now. Welcome. There's no leaving. We will find you. <laughs> so, yeah, there was 10 episodes, and they were all sold separately during its initial release. But if you want to peep it, there is a compilation available on their official cult YouTube channel. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, get in there. <laughs> Check it out. So, one of his most crucial crucial early decisions was creating shuke which earlier i typed as shukake <laughs> and then i started laughing about bukake which <laughs> my mind spiraled and it reminded me of this story last year um around christmas my grandpa was up from florida and he's like very catholic like extremely catholic and we somehow got him to play cards against humanity with us and he played the pixelated bukake card and we died and he was like i know what things are and we're just like we don't want to know <laughs> gross so anyway it's not shukake it's shuke and asahara created this like uh he created like this standard i guess so, shuke means leaving home, and it's a traditional term for monks or nuns who give up their whole world in alignment with their beliefs. Um, he preached that if one really wished to follow him and join him in his full spiritual project, one had to become a shuke, meaning the standard for being a member of Amshinrikyo was you had to remove yourself completely from your family, your work, or your studies, turn in all of your resources to Alm. They, like, people gave their money, their houses, their entire selves. They gave their names. They were forced to rename themselves with a new Sanskrit name. 
Can you imagine just like walking up to some bum on the street and they're like, hey, sell all your shit and join my cult. Like, and they're just like, yeah. You got it, dog. <laughs> well, I guess they have less to lose, but like. I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely insane. Like they literally gave up everything to join this cult. And it's just like, why would you do that? But I'm. To reach enlightenment. I guess so. <laughs> So this was especially appealing to younger, impressionable, angsty kids with family problems because they, they could essentially just run away and join a new family right, full that makes of people sense. just like them. So the Shuge were forced to live together in alm facilities where they found out all too late what they had actually signed up for. Shame. This is where it gets uh, a little bit crazier. They had to undergo severe forms of ascetic practice, including celibacy and abstaining from, abstaining from ejaculation, fasting, intense breathing exercises, which breathing intensely for a long period of time is very hard, and it has a big toll on the body. Usually it's healing, but I can see how it would hurt you. Right. Um, they had to do hours of meditation. They had irregular sleep schedules in tiny sleeping spaces. They were only allowed to eat two meals a day. Uh, and these meals consisted of quote unquote home food, which is just rice and vegetables. Um, and I mean, they also were forced to give up everything that they had. So they didn't have like cell phones or anything, nothing to do besides everything that they were forcing them to do. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. So things only got more intense when Alm gradually, gradually adopted a series of initiations. And these are fucked up. So the first one is the only one that's, like, acceptable at all. They get much, much worse. So the first one is called Shaktipat, which is where Asahara awakened and initiates energy by touching their chakra points on the forehead or the top of their head. Okay. I'm into that. All I right. do Reiki. I get that. Right. That seems reasonable the next level of initiation is called the bardo initiation which is where the new initiate was brought before the lord of hell to hear accusations of their sins sometimes they would drug the members with narcotics to get them to confess wrongdoings before the ritual to really tailor the experience to the individual oh uh. yeah uh, it's not even the worst one. <laughs> okay, the next one is a Christ initiation, which is where Asahar or High Disciple would personally offer the initiate a liquid containing LSD to help evoke visions. This one is less terrible, but still not okay because no. you're drugging people. The next one is narco initiation, where they again used a narcotic drug to drug the initiate and they had to chant their failures to absorb Om's full message and then chant their determination to fully absorb it in the future. Oh my god. Yeah. The oh. next is a thermal training ritual nope. where members would soak in a bathtub for hours nope. in water as hot as 122 degrees Fahrenheit nope. to cleanse their souls and eliminate their impurities. Dude, so we have like the hot stones at work, you know? Uh-huh. I put mine at 130 and I have to like quickly yeah. rip my hand out of that water. Those things are hot, dude. I have to like set them to the side and let them cool I down. Know. I do the same thing. Like I can't imagine sitting in 120 degree water for 
four hours. Yeah, so this resulted in a death of one of the members who had to be secretly incinerated so as not to further damage Om's reputation. Oh, Because no. their reputation was under fire for potentially forcing members to stay, using violence and manipulation to keep them there, and kidnapping them when they managed to escape. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they were like, uh, yeah, no one can find out about this. Let's just burn the body. Oh. A newer member had actually witnessed this, the whole, like, thermal training debacle mm-hmm. and he asked to leave the group but asahara wasn't about to let word get out about it so he instructed one of his higher disciples to silence the young man um and so as the young man was preparing to flee the call he was strangled with rope which killed him sad he was like oh god i, I made a mistake delete, That's delete. So sad. <laughs> yeah backspace oh, for real so a former cult member named Kazao Kanya later reported that he was given a blood initiation, meaning he drank Asahara's blood. And not only that, he paid $8,100 for that. What? Yeah. These people were paying for the rituals. The... I don't know. I don't know. No. It's crazy. You couldn't pay me. To drink somebody else's blood. I know. And like $8,100. That's so much money. Uh, And he got duped. He got fucking gypped, dude. Uh, So other former cult members have also reported that followers paid for blood. They paid for strands of Asahara's hair. And they paid for his bath water during rituals. Do you want to buy my bath water? I don't. I take baths all the time. But think about how much money we would make if we sold strands of our hair. I'd be losing this shit all day long, dude. Dude, my hair falls out on its own. I don't even gotta rip it out. There's Here, like a want the thousand hundred million dollars in my hairbrush right now. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, for real. Anybody interested? Our email is creepyweegee at gmail.com. Creepyweegeepod at gmail.com. Sorry, creepyweegeepod at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, some of the members, some of the former members said that they paid $2,400 for an injection of an unknown substance. Okay. Okay. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> so, Kanya, the one who drank the blood, quit the cult the next year in 1989. Well, that was loud. That was so loud. Um, and he decided to sue them. So, he contacted an anti-cult lawyer named Susumi Sakamoto. Sakamoto. Didn't know there was such a thing, but, I mean, there's probably a lot of jobs out there like that. There's a lot of cults out there. <laughs> so, in 1989, Sitsumi Sakamoto organized an anti-Alm public relations campaign where he wanted to expose that some of the Alm members did not join the group voluntarily, but they were lured in by deception, clearly. Obviously, yeah. And they were being held there against their will by threats and manipulations, which is true. Um, or they get roped, roped in the neck, roped in the neck, roped in the neck or incinerated. (laughs) There's no leaving. Take your pick. Right. (laughs) So aside from that, um, religious items were being sold at prices much higher than market value. Not quite sure how blood, um, sells, but I can imagine it's not $8,000. Probably not. So, yeah, they were, like, really marking up prices on shit like that, which was draining members of all of their money. Gotta make a profit somehow. Yeah. 
Somehow. Somehow. If a a judgment was handed down in Koya's favor, Amshin Rikyo would be bankrupt, which would seriously weaken or destroy the group entirely. How tragic would that be? Hopefully the latter. So, on October 31st, 1989, Sakamoto, the uh, anti-cult lawyer, successfully persuaded Asahara to submit a blood test to test for the special power that the leader claimed was present throughout his blood. Super surprisingly, Sakamoto did not find anything unusual or mystical in Asahara's blood, but leaking this information could have potentially damaged Asahara's holy image. So do you know what he did? Killed him. No. Incinerated him? That's the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to tell you. Okay. Three days later, after this blood test... Uh, discrepancy. Asahara sent four Om Shinrikyo members armed with 14 hypodermic syringes and a supply of potassium chloride to Yokohama's Shinkansen Shinkansen train station. I'm really nailing these like Asian stories people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They sent him they sent the four members there to kidnap Sokomoto on his way home from work. Okay. So if you don't know what potassium chloride is, it's the drug that they use for legal executions, and it causes cardiac arrest and death within a minute of injection. I did not know what it was. So, so. did they not inject him with it? They just kidnapped him, or was that like a last resort? So, so the four guys went to this train station to kidnap him, but after waiting around for a while and not seeing him, they realized that it was actually a holiday um, called Culture Day, and... Sakamoto actually got to stay home that day and spend the day with his family. So they decided to just go straight to his apartment. Oh, okay. Where he was spending the holiday with his wife and child. And as one does. Yeah, as one does. So at 3 a.m. on November 4th, the four cult members entered the Sakamoto family's apartment through an unlocked door. This is why we lock our doors, people. Always lock your door. Yeah. You never know who's after you. There Especially if you're in, a, in an apartment building. Oh, my God. Yeah. So many people going in and out. Lots of weirdos walking around. Could be cult members. Um, so, Satsumi Sakamoto was struck on the head with a hammer. Uh, two of the men started beating his wife. And one, the other guy found the 14-month-old son and injected him with potassium chloride and smothered him with a cloth. So the couple struggled against the attackers, um, and they had to be injected with the potassium chloride to, like, finally, like, kill them. Right. Um, as in, like, the members injected the Sakamoto's. Fa- the family. Yeah. Um, the wife died immediately, but the lawyer did not die immediately, and he had to be strangled on top of that. He's what so a way to go. Hit in the head with a hammer. God. Kicked the shit out of him injected him with potassium chloride and then got strangled like that's devastating but like way to go like you really tried you you fought till the very end kudos yeah so the sakamoto's bodies were placed in metal drums and hidden in three separate rural areas in three different prefectures which are similar to the states um so that in case the bodies were discovered police hopefully wouldn't link the three bodies together uh, Satsumi's body went to Niigata, his wife's body went to Toyama, and their son went to Nagano. That's, like, really sad. That's so sad. Like, like they couldn't even be together in yeah. death. The four members uh, 
burned their bedsheets, dropped all the murder weapons into the ocean, and fled. And they got away with it. Of course they did. Yeah. Oh, and a little side note. Uh, before they put the bodies in the metal drums, they smashed their teeth <gasps> so that the police wouldn't be able to recover dental records. That is literally, like, even if I'm dead, like, the thought that somebody is going to, like, could pull my teeth That's out and, like, mess with my teeth, like, that, disgusting. that, no, 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 no. Nasty. No, thank you. So, another little side note. I just wanted to um, include that there was an investigation launched to try to find out who did this and someone had given a tip that it was Amshin Rikyo but they had to call off the investigation because the murder was committed in Yokohama which is outside of the jurisdiction of the Tokyo police so like extra bummer right like so disappointing so now with Sakamoto out of the way Asahara applied for government registration and the authorities were reluctant at first, and they had to appeal. But finally, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government did end up granting it legal recognition as a religious corporation. So, like, things are legit now. Good. Good. So, with this uh, official recognition as a religion, uh, Asahara basically enforced a monastic order that he based off of the Vajrayana scriptures and the Bible. And so this basically means that they, like, just set in place all of their religious rules. Um, And this drew in a lot of religious followers, like monks and nuns. That's so sad. I know, because they were just like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a good thing that we're going to join and, like, dedicate our lives to. Wrong. Wrong. So, as he gained more followers, his credibility grew, and he was invited to be on TV shows, and he was on magazine covers. So, he was kind of also becoming, like, a a public figure that people, like, looked up to. I mean, yeah, if he's on magazines and shit. Yeah. So, the next year, in 1990, Japan, (laughs) Japan had a large economic downfall, forcing a lot of the young people to stay with or move back in with their families. I know how much that sucks. I had to do it last year. me too. Yeah. Um, And as soon as I got there, no offense, mom, I know you're listening, I wanted to leave. Same. Yeah. Again, like Alicia said, no offense, mom. No offense. Just uh, not ideal. So Asahara used this to his advantage and offered jobs to the young people at their restaurants and businesses. And once these young people were employed, all members working with the new employees would heavily persuade them to join their group and a lot of them were like hell yeah i'm gonna join like i'm gonna get away from my parents and like be a part of something big and fun and cool and it offered them an out so yeah so so sorry to those people but uh you did not get what you were looking for (laughs) anyway these new employee recruitments were not enough, and Amshin Rikyo kicked their recruitment campaign into high drive. They funded they funded more anime and manga to target the otaku again. Dumb nerds. No offense, <laughs> dumb nerds. I'm one, too. So they actually also managed to sway a lot of doctors and scientists and university students to join them because they advertised that they were like a retreat for hard workers to come get away from their day-to-day worries in the trying times 
But, like, once you join them, they didn't let you leave. That's, like, terrifying. I think about all the time, like, going on, like, a retreat, like, Mm -hmm. just, like, something Uh, cool. And I'm, like, turns into, like, a horror movie. Now I'm just going to stay home. This is a real-life horror movie. Stay in the comfort of my own bed with my cat. I'll do yoga in my room. There we go. So, um, I mean, obviously, like, they persuaded the doctors and scientists and university students to join. Like, they didn't just, like, trap them there, but they made it seem like this is the way. Right. And they were like, okay. Yeah. Just like any psychopath. Right. Stockholm Syndrome. Yep. So, with all of the new recruitments and their support, Asahara and 25 of his members decided to run for the lower house of representatives... But thank fucking God, none of them were elected. Can you imagine how fucking terrible that would have been? Yeah. That would have been so scary. <laughs> like, ugh. Scary thoughts. Kind of like our election. Oh, Jesus Terrifying. Christ. Ah. <laughs> so with this loss, he turned his focus back to recruiting because he just did not have enough people, apparently. Well, thank God for that. And he sent a small recruitment group to Russia and quite a few Russians joined. So now he's expanding out of Japan, and his ego is expanding, and his teachings are becoming even more disillusioned and paranoid and intense. Like, it was already bad, but now it's getting worse. He started seeing dark conspiracies all around him and in the world, and he started preaching that they were the works of Jews, the Freemasons, the Dutch, I don't, I don't know why, um, the British royal family and rival Japanese religions. So, so he's going insane. Yeah, he's literally going crazy. Two years later, also, oh my god, <laughs> okay, this one's good. Two years later, in 1992, Asa, <laughs> so sorry, <laughs> this one gets me. <clears throat> he published his eighth book <laughs> titled. <clears throat> It's just so crazy. Okay, he called this book Declaring Myself the Christ, Disclosing the True Meanings of Jesus Christ's Gospel. Did did you hear that? Yeah. Declaring Myself the Christ. So, in this book, he claimed himself as Japan's only fully enlightened master and identified with the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. I put in parentheses here. Can we all just take a break to scream collectively? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Like, who... Who joins a cult or any group, and then the leader puts out a book declaring himself Christ, and it's just like, yeah. You know what? This guy's (laughs) on to something. He's good. He's on to something. Oh, my, 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 my. So, naturally, this led him to prophesizing Doomsday, in which the United States starts a third world war, which... Here we are. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's not a far reach, you know. It's not. It could happen. Our country is in shambles. Yeah. There's a baby in control of the big red button. So, anyway, he prophesied that the United States would start a third world war, ending in nuclear Armageddon in 1997 but only the members of Amshin Rikyo would be spared. Naturally. Naturally. Obviously, this did not happen. It, we're far past 1997, so... Oh, we are? I think. What year is it? 
uh, I want to say it's 2012. Oh, dude, that means there's another Armageddon coming in December. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. He sh- he, his, his calendar was off. Anyway, Asahar started regularly preaching the necessity of Armageddon for, quote, human relief. Good guy. Right. This obviously created serious disillusion and paranoia to grow in his followers. Right. You know, like, I would be panicking if my my own personal Lamb of God was like, people should die. Right. Sounds good. Right. Set it up. Let's do it. Make it happen. Yeah. So, as Asahara's teachings grew increasingly darker, rumors of the cult's doings were beginning to circulate, which was, again, damaging their public image which Asahara would just not stand for. He had to be seen as, like, a true a true god among men. Right. A truly enlightened Japanese master. Right. We can't... God can't have bad publicity. <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, in an attempt to bring more light to their name, um, Ohm doctors and nurses were led on a mission trip to Zare, Africa, where Ebola had devastated the community. The members took their time to preach about their religion and supposedly heal the sick and contribute to the communities. But while these sweet, sweet doctors and nurses were out helping restore the community, Asahara's bitch ass was secretly trying to get a sample of the Ebola strain to bring back to Japan and use as a biological weapon. How do we feel about that, people? Where's the, where's Ricky or one of the animals? Let them let them express their feelings, because Chloe looks deeply unsettled. I am speechless. It could be the fact that she got fixed two days ago. <laughs> she does not look happy. <laughs> <laughs> Me either, pal. So luckily, he failed to obtain the virus and went home in- empty-handed. But this did not stop him. It only sent him in a different direction, okay. specifically. The direction of manufacturing nerve agents like sarin. <laughs> Ebola is a gateway drug. <laughs> so, in 1993, Ohm purchased a sheep ranch in Perth, Australia, where they would test their developing gas on livestock, documenting how lethal it was in preparation for future attacks. So, it's not PETA friendly. Not PETA friendly. Also, I put Noted. a little note here just culty things. Just purchasing ranch. Live love cult. Killing sheep. Live love cult. (laughs) If we ever have merch one day, that's going to be... It'll be our first one. It's going to be the first one. Also real cult shit. (laughs) Live love cult. So, one lovely June morning, the residents of the Koto Ward in Tokyo begin to notice a nauseating smell wafting around the streets. The stench becomes so bad that 41 people complained to the environmental health authorities. Uh, The residents reported nausea, loss of appetite, and even some projectile vomiting. Mm. Yeah. Yummy. So upon investigation, the authorities found the stench was coming from a large eight-story building belonging to none other than Om Shinrikyo. There was a black mist coming from a vent on the roof, and black sludge was appearing to be descending down the sides of the building. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, so gross. Yo, side note. Remember uh, in Michigan, there was all that green sludge coming out of the sewers a couple months oh ago? Oh, my God. Yeah. I forgot about that. I don't. I, never, I didn't look into it. I don't know what it was, but someone, uh, someone was in trouble. Someone had a really bad bellyache. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Upon seeing this and discovering it, the police tried to enter the building to investigate, but all members were standing guard, and they were like, hell fucking no, bro. Come back with a warrant. And so the police essentially couldn't do anything. They did keep tabs on the activity outside of the building, and they took air samples, but... They really couldn't get a warrant? Well, at this exact moment, oh, oh, they couldn't okay. do anything. Okay. Um... But yeah, they took air samples, and which came up with nothing, so... Just take a mason jar and... They were just, like... Clamp that shit down. Yeah. They just blowing it in there. Air, waft it in. It's like putting a fart Screw in a mason them. jar. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> they just, like, breathed really heavy into it. So, um... Yeah, so the on members got to just carry on with what they were doing, and the stench got worse. Um, residents continued to complain. Uh, their pets were starting to fall ill. Citizens were continuing to projectile vomit. And then loud banging noises started coming from the Alm building. So complaints reached 118. Does that make sense? Like 118 people complained? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. That was a stupid way to word that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Do you even English? I don't. Not well. I don't know why I'm doing this. Go back to Korean. <laughs> Haseo. <laughs> That's all I know. Anyway, um, so yeah, the local residents and the enforcement uh, essentially forced Om to vacate the building because, like, they were they were hurting people. Right. Um, after they evacuated, the police investigated the inside of the building, and there was nothing in there, but all of the walls and ceilings were covered with black smudge. But there was nothing in there. Like there was no equipment or anything. It was just like sludge all over the place. Sounds healthy. Yeah. It's just smoking a lot of cigarettes. I'm just having a good party. <laughs> so it was later disclosed by some ALM members that they were attempting to aerosolize anthrax in an attempt to cause a pandemic. Who thinks of this stuff? I'm sorry, what year are we in again? 2012. <laughs> you sure it's not 2020? <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, so for those of you who don't know what anthrax is, because I didn't. Um, it's an infectious bacterial disease that mainly affects animals, but it can affect humans who inhale spores or come into contact with an infected animal. Which would explain why people are vomiting. Yeah, and why their, in the streets. their pets were falling ill. Right. Quote, unquote. Um, <clears throat> so after another failed mission, the ALM members began a series of break-ins, beginning with the Tokyo police station, where they stole citizens' driver's li- license information. Um... Next was Nippon Electronics. Sounds like nipple. (laughs) And and there they obtained information on laser technology. And then the last one was Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, where they stole legal documents containing information on tanks and artillery. So he was building an army. Essentially, yeah. Okay. So as these robberies were going on, Asahara commanded his chief engineer... I didn't even know he had one of those. He just, like, has a chief engineer for your cult. <laughs> but, like, he must be pretty important. Yeah, I mean, like, you're, uh, quote-unquote, like, the leader of this religion, but you have a chief engineer? How, how, how powerful how, are you really, God? How do it make sense? How do it make sense? <laughs> <laughs> so he commanded his chief engineer to start manufacturing 1,000 AK-74s, in preparation for Armageddon. Just being careful. Have you ever seen the movie Armageddon? No. Oh. 
It's about an asteroid. I and I don't, it. I don't, I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily how it would happen, but like, that's, if it is, I don't think rifles are going to take that shit out. <laughs> Shoot it out of the sky. I mean, you can try. <laughs> I always thought Armageddon was about a dragon. No. <laughs> Close. I don't watch movies, like, ever. Dude, Armageddon's a really good movie. Maybe I'll watch it. It's an inc- I probably won't. It's really long, but I've it's got, incredible. I've got too much BTS content to consume. Fair enough. Move aside, Armageddon. No one cares. Anyway. Except for Taylor. About, anyway. what do I care about? The movie Armageddon. Oh, that was rude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Hmm, let's get back on track here. <clears throat> so, by 1995... Asahara decided that Armageddon just couldn't come soon enough. Like it was Christmas or something. He's like, it just can't wait. So he decided to induce it himself. He was Christ after all, right? Right. He decides. It's his holiday. Sounds a lot like Donald Trump. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Woof. (laughs) Everything belongs to him. Anyway. Uh, just so everybody is aware, we are not Trump supporters, and if you are, we are judging you. So, we, Bye. Don't, we don't care about you ending the podcast right now. Get fucked. Sorry, Mom. Oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this, is, this is where it, you know, this is the climax been a long journey i'm working on uh page 12 well we're 45 minutes in oh so. fuck okay. <laughs> all right perfect long episode all right <clears throat> as these robberies were going oh i just read that <laughs> you couldn't decide it wasn't coming soon enough so on monday march 20th at the peak of morning rush hour five members of Anshinrikyo launched a chemical attack on the tokyo subway how have I not heard about this? Dude, I don't know. It, like, this plays into as uh, recent as last two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the story ends in 2018. Okay. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so the Tokyo subway is one of the world's busiest transportation systems. So this was, you know, a huge attack. So, the five members were carrying umbrellas with sharpened tips and two packets of liquid sarin sarin wrapped in plastic bags and newspaper. The members boarded their assigned trains. Two of them went to Marunouchi line, two of them went to Chiyoda line, and two of them went to the Hibaya line. I don't know why I keep doing this to myself. (laughs) (laughs) So, at these stations, the sarin packets were dropped and punctured with the sharpened tips of the umbrellas, and the members uh, really quickly got off the trains and exited the station, escaping in prearranged getaway cars. So, leaving the punctured packets on the floor allowed the sarin to leak out into the train car and stations, and sarin evaporates really quickly, so passengers immediately felt the stinging fumes hitting their eyes. Um, This struck victims down in a matter of seconds, leaving them choking and vomiting, and some of them blinded and paralyzed. Big yikes. Yeah, like, these poor people are just on their way to work, and some fat guy comes along, and he's just like, it's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So, on that day, um, ambulances transported 688 patients with nearly 5,000 people reaching hospitals and other means. 
So ambulances alone took almost 700 people to the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, in total, 278 hospitals saw 5,510 patients. Luckily, only 17 were deemed critical, 37 severe, and 984 were moderately ill with vision problems. The moderate, moderately ill patients just had meiosis, which is excessive constriction of the pupils, so they, they couldn't see very well, which is, I'm sure, very scary. Um, but One boy wanted people to be a part of his world. He was like, how the fuck does it feel now? Sounds like he was just jealous. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Anyway, the severely ill experienced shortness of breath, uh, had muscular twitching or gastrointestinal problems, as well as meiosis. Um, the severe and the critical patients were re- required intensive care. Right. They required intensive care. Words are so hard for me. Uh, thankfully, by mid-afternoon, the mildly affected victims had recovered from vision problems and they were released. Uh, most of the remaining patients were well enough to go home the next day, and within a week, only a few critical patients remained in the hospital. Um, the death toll on the day of the attack was eight, and then... Only four more died later on, which 12 deaths is too many. But, like, considering how many people were right. affected, it's, thankfully it was It just, wasn't more. Yeah, not that many. Is Your that plan it? failed. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. He, like, is not really good at no. being a cult leader. Because, like, everything he does doesn't work out the way he wants it to. Maybe you should talk to your chief executive again. You fucking suck, bro. Yeah, maybe the, like, chief dude who made all the guns should have been in charge. He was probably watching uh, Asahara and just like, you're a fucking dumbass. But I can't do anything about it. What the fuck (laughs) is wrong with you? Yeah. So, after finding sufficient evidence, authorities accused Om Shinrikyo of orchestrating the attack. They were right. Uh, dozens of disciples were arrested, and alms facilities were raided, and the court issued an order for Asahara's arrest, Um, because when they went to raid the facility, he was not there. So, that all happened on, what day did I say? What day did I say? March 20th. It wasn't until May 16th that the police finally got Asahara. He was found in an alms facility in a small isolated room isn't that crazy like he went what nothing that's just stupid i know he went like you coward yeah you and, fuck your, you. You and your god complex hiding in your tiny room hiding in a padded room yeah doing <laughs> yoga <laughs> fuck you so um yeah he was faced with 27 counts of murder and 13 separate indictments during the trials, uh, some of the disciples testified against him, and they fucking snitched, dude. They were like, yeah, he fucking did that. And you want to know what else he did? This. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't playing. They ain't playing. They're like, I want out. So, yeah, he was found guilty of 13 of 17 charges, including the Sakamoto family murders. Thank God. Some justice. Yeah. Some justice. Not enough justice. Actually... We'll get there. Okay. Listen. Someone snitch. <laughs> On February 27, 2004, 2004, literally like 11 years later, he was sentenced to death by hanging. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That Wait. 
Oh, never mind. We're not in the States. I'm like, hanging was a thing in 2004. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, yeah, hang him. <laughs> I think they should have injected him with potassium chloride. Just not. I think hanging is a way worse way to go. Yeah, probably. You know what? They should have done both. They should have hanged him and then injected him. I think that's I, I think cult that's, leader. I think that's still too quick, man. <laughs> at least with okay, a ha- like after like five minutes, inject him. Yeah, I mean, at least with the hanging, like he has potential to like break his neck, and then he doesn't necessarily die right away. Dude, so this is suffers. really fucked up. This is we're normal. I know way too much. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen so much. So um, after you know they were like hang this motherfucker. Uh, the defense appealed Asahara's sentencing, claiming that he was mentally unfit, and they requested psychiatric psychiatric exams. <sighs> They're trying. They're um, trying. During most of the trials, Asahara remained silent for... Excuse me. <coughs> I don't know what's happening to me. I'm just really excited. Okay, so the defense appealed Asahara's sentencing, claiming that he was mentally unfit and required psychiatric psychiatric exams um during most of the trials asahara did remain silent or only muttered to himself kind of to give the illusion that he was crazy right um but like after the trials were over and he went back to the detention facility he like talked with the staff regularly Mm -hmm. so the examiner was like who the fuck are you trying to fool like no what you doing homie yeah so they decided not to grant them leave to appeal so, Asahara was executed by hanging on July 6, 2018. Literally two years ago, he was straight up medieval time hanged. No thanks. That's fucking brutal. I wonder if it was public. <laughs> I didn't look that up. I should have. I don't think... I mean, I don't know. Ha- hangings are an outdated, like, thing. But, I mean, I guess I don't know how other countries are run, but, like... <laughs> metal as fuck <clears throat> so yeah he was hanged 23 years after the siren gas attack and um six other cult members were also hanged they went out together just how they went in um asahara signed assigned his remains to his fourth daughter with his final words which is odd he didn't say i am the lamb of god he said stacy take my body <laughs> That's it? I don't think her name was Stacy. Oh. But yeah, those were his last words. He was just like, take my body. This is yours now. Um, take it and do what with it? I don't know. Just like put it in a hole somewhere? or like He just assigned his remains to her. They had him um, cremated. But this was like a really weird choice for him because his fourth daughter like literally did not give a shit about him. She was, like, really unsympathetic to the whole cult thing, like... So did he leave... Kind of back to the beginning. Did he leave his family? No, his family was with him the whole time. Like, oh. yeah, like I said in the beginning, his wife stayed with him till the end. Oh. Yeah, so his fourth daughter was basically like, I don't fucking want this shit. I don't want this carcass. Fuck this guy. Just throw me in the trash. Yeah, so she planned to dispose of his ashes at sea. Um, but his wife, third daughter, and other family members don't support this, and they reportedly want to enshrine his ashes where believers can continue to honor them. 
So this could potentially still be happening today with other Oh, yeah. So Amchenrikyo, like, is still a cult. Like, it's still going on. But it's, like, not as active. And I'm sure they lost, like, a lot of followers after, you know, everyone was fucking arrested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And a lot of people probably wanted out that whole time. And they were like, this is this is my freedom right no looking back so yeah as of march 2020 the ashes uh still remain at the tokyo detention center and that's that wow thanks for listening (laughs) wait i gotta say something (laughs) sarong hey (laughs) that means i love you (laughs) (laughs) all right tay it's your turn finally (laughs) um so you told me to do a murder this week. I did. That's exactly what I did. Kind yes. of. What? Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, today I am going to talk about Jessica Herringa. Um, she... Okay. So I'm covering this story because it took place in Michigan... Um, specifically over on the west side of the state in Muskegon. Well, Norton Shores, but that's all the same. And uh, I actually lived over there when this happened. This happened about three miles away from my house. Oh, my God, Taylor. That's so scary. While you were living there, too. While I was living there. I have a little more to the story, but I'll wait till we, like, get further into it. Okay. Um... So, just a little backstory. Uh, Jessica was from Norton Shores, Michigan. Um, she was 25 years old with a fiance named Dakota, and they together had a three year old son named Zevin. Uh, Dakota had. Zevin. Re- Zevin, yeah. It's like, it's like Devin, but with a Z. That's cute. Yeah. Um, so, Dakota had recently lost his job, so Jessica was working more to make up for it. Um, she was working the night shift at the Exxon gas station on Sternberg Road in Norton Shores. Um, her shift ended at 1130 every night. And she had a lot of customers there who like knew her, recognized her, would yeah, come in regulars. to talk to her. Yeah. So on the night of April 26, 2013, one of Jessica's regular customers came to pump gas. Um, he didn't need anything inside, so he just tried to pay at the pump but it wouldn't work. So he did end up going inside to pay for his gas. And when he went inside, uh, no one was there. So he looks around the gas station and still can't find her. He does, though, see her purse behind the counter. And he also noticed that the register was open. Um, It was just cracked. It wasn't, like, completely pulled out. Okay. But again, no sign of Jessica. So he actually almost left to go somewhere else to get gas. But he just had a bad feeling, so he ended up calling 911. Always follow your gut. Seriously. So he made the 911 call at 11.07. And according to his 911 call, there were two other cars present around the building. So Was that including his or not? No. Okay. So there were his, it was his car plus two others. Okay. Um, so, unfortunately, regular protocol is to not file a missing persons report until 24 hours after someone's gone missing. That's so fucked. It's so stupid. 
So when officers first arrived, they saw Jessica's jacket in the office and found that one of the cars previously stated in the 911 call was Jessica's. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other car was not there anymore. <clears throat> in Jessica's purse, they found $400 in cash. And behind the gas station, by the back door, they found like a, like a dark mark mm-hmm. on the pavement. Um, so they tested it. It was blood. So they sent it to get... De- uh, to, to get DNA. Yeah. <laughs> DNA. <laughs> um, so they called Dakota. He gets there and says he was home all night mm-hmm. uh, with their son. Um, please look into him. He has no criminal record. So they call Jessica's manager, Sue. Um, they asked her some questions, and she actually had been driving by the gas station at that point conveniently. Oh, wow. Um, and she saw a silver town and country minivan parked outside the back of the gas station. So this is weird because normally only employees park behind the gas station right. and she didn't recognize the car. <clears throat> okay. So her and her husband pulled over to check it out. They notice a man getting a man was outside the car and then he gets back he gets in the car. So oh my God. that was kind of all they saw. They were able to give a brief description though. Um, They said that they saw a white male, approximately six feet tall, and somewhere between 30 and 40 years old with brown hair. So they call in a sketch artist, and they sketch it up. Um, They show the sketch to the family of Jessica, and no one recognizes him. So they release the sketch to the public, and hundreds of people came forward with tips, and they were all dead ends. So unfortunately, the gas station didn't have security cameras. Of course not. I know. So there was no way to go back and look and see who had been in there. Um, Detectives also looked at the transactions from that night, and the last transaction was for a lighter at 10.54 p.m. And the 911 call was at 11.07. Oh, my God. That's only a 13-minute window. Yeah. So between 11.02 and 11.05, three different security cameras saw the Silvertown and Country driving by other local businesses. So other places picked up the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of all they had for the night of her disappearance. But in the, in the weeks following, like, it just, it gets crazy. Um, so on May 8th, the blood results come back and it's Jessica's. Uh, multiple search parties searched surrounding areas for her. And they they didn't find anything. So the family is obviously super worried about Jessica. And the lead detective, Mike Kasher, calls Jessica's family to assure them that he isn't giving up. So Jessica's mom, um, her name is Shelly, mentioned Jessica's journals to Detective Mike Kasher, asking what or if they found any clues in it. And the detectives had no idea that this even existed. I always, like, I'm so, like, awed by people who keep journals. Like, that's so brave. Yeah. (laughs) All of your thoughts and feelings just there (laughs) for anyone who wants to see. Um, So, yeah, the detectives didn't even know that this journal existed. Um, And it turns out that the night that Jessica disappeared, um, her, Jessica's mom, Shelly, told Dakota, her fiancé, to give them the journal... Mm-hmm. And he didn't. Suspect. Yeah. So Mike Kasher got a hold of the journal and was pretty surprised by what he found. So 
In the journal, Jessica had written that Dakota was controlling, that she was unhappy with him, she felt trapped, and her family had no idea. Her family mm-hmm. knew none of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they shared a car and a cell phone, so Jessica, so I'm sorry, so Dakota could track Jessica and control where she went. Oh my god. So he's looking pretty shady. Yeah, fuck him. Um, he was restricting her friendships and money, and... In the journal, Jessica also wrote about an incident where he was holding her down, and then their kid walked in, and he got off of her. Oh, that poor baby. I know. Um, So at this point, Dakota is named a person of interest. So Dakota was at home during the disappearance. They found this out through cell phone records. Mm -hmm. Um, he, He was at home. He does confess, though, to having jealousy issues and that they did, in fact, have relationship problems. Clearly. But he still says he didn't have anything to do with it. And obviously his alibi holds up. Yeah. Uh, Police also make a statement that Dakota had cooperated during the whole investigation. So that also led them to believe that, you know, he was innocent. Still a piece of shit, though. Yeah. He still hit the journal. But whatever. So 10 months later, in February of 2014, an investigator in Kalamazoo calls Mike and tells him about a similar situation. Uh, about a blonde girl who was kidnapped in a van and sexually assaulted but managed to escape him. So this girl was able to identify her attacker named Brad Allen Mason. He happened to be a sex offender and serial rapist with kidnapping and indecent exposure charges. Mm. Um, But again, we don't have Jessica's body yet, so we don't know if she was sexually assaulted. So, Brad Allen Mason spent six years in jail for felony sexual conduct with children and was paroled and released to a halfway house in Norton Shores. So, that's kind of where they made the connection that maybe he was involved. Okay. Um, All of his victims had a similar profile. They were blonde, petite women. Um, When they went looking for him, though, they found that he had died by officer-assisted suicide he pulled out a fake gun when they went to arrest him for a previous issue. Oh. So, so it he, couldn't be him. Right. Well, okay. he's still considered a person of interest. Oh, okay. So Dakota was arrested in 2014 for selling weed. So Jessica's sister, Samantha, files for custody of their son, Zevin, and wins. Um, and then in April 16th, 2016... I guess that last part was kind of irrelevant. Anyway. Well, I mean, it's good to know that their son is, like, in safe hands. Yeah. So, in April 16th, 2016, a 16-year-old girl in Muskegon was abducted. Her name was never revealed because she's a minor. Mm -hmm. Um, So, she was at a party, and she decided to walk home, and she gets lost. So, a guy pulls over and offers for her to use his cell phone, and she agrees. So she reaches out for it, but he tells her that she has to come use it in his car. Oh, creep. So she gets in his 2013 town and country. Oh, no. She immediately regrets it, obviously. Uh, yeah. um, the man locks the doors and pulls a gun on her. <gasps> she did manage to jump out of the car, though, and runs screaming with the man calling after her. Um, and oh again, my God, that's so terrifying. She survives. She's only 16. Oh my God. Like, that's so scary. Yeah. So, obviously, the police get involved and she describes the car and the kidnapper, and she was able to pick out a face in a lineup. 
Good for you, sister. She picked a man named Jeffrey Willis. Jeffrey is a 46-year-old man who is married and works at Herman Miller Factory in Muskegon. He has no no major record, um, only speeding tickets. He did have the cops called for filming a woman without permission in a parking lot. And he also got in trouble for filming his underage neighbor in her room. Like he was like outside. Um, I don't really know how he didn't have a record because this one is also kind of pedophile-y. Um, he got fired from a janitorial job at an elementary school for looking at porn on the school's computer. Oh, my God. So, like, I don't know how he doesn't have Yeah. A what the fuck? So. I guess it's not illegal. It's just frowned upon. It's just really wrong. But, yeah, disgusting. Um, so, his name is super familiar to cops. And it turns out that he had actually been questioned back in 2013 in relation to Jessica's abduction. Okay, so we're like three years after her abduction now, right? Yes. Um, it's it's taken a while. Yeah. Um, but there was also a note in his file that stated that he had recently cleaned out his van. So the police get a search warrant. And this is where it gets rough. Bad for Jeffrey. Yes. So in his car, they find rope, handcuffs, a long metal bar with wrist restraints on it, a ball gag, chains, pornographic material with women being tied up, Viagra, sex toys, video cameras, lube, rubber gloves, batting gloves, a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol with ammunition, and the serial number scratched off. Um, insulin, five syringes filled with liquid suspected to be a sedative. So we're like, oh my god, we are looking real good here. Big plans, yeah. Jesus. Um. So the house looks totally normal on the outside, even like inside at first sight. Nothing is super off about it. Mm-hmm. Um. They do find on his computer though, um, child porn, hundreds of videos of women being raped, uh, raped, tortured, and murdered. Um. Some are fake and others are real. So on May 17th, 2016, Jeffrey Willis is arrested and charged with kidnapping regarding the 16-year-old and becomes a person of interest in Jessica's case. So looking into it, they find that he also may have a possible connection to other cold cases involving disappearances and murders, including one where a woman named Rebecca Bletch was shot in the head while jogging in broad daylight. Oh my God. So that was in 2014. Um, they did find shell casings at the scene of her murder, and they matched the twenty-two caliber found in his van, and her DNA was found on the batting gloves, which is enough to convict of murder. Good. So, on Jeffrey's computer, they also found some folders. There was one folder titled VIX, um, which they believed was short for victims, And there was folders within that folder. So one of the folders was named JLH, so Jessica Lynn Herringa. Mm -hmm. And in that folder, they found child porn and pictures of Jessica. And there was like a... Oh, my God. Yeah. There was like a code at the end of the file name. Um, It was DZ13. 
um, they ended up decoding it, and it turns out to be 42613, so 42613, uh-huh. which was the date of Jessica's disappearance. Ugh, real cryptic guy. Yeah, right. Stupid idiot. Um, and then there was another folder titled RSB, Rebecca Sue Bletch, um, and that one contained articles about her murder, a wanted poster, and a picture of a woman in a bikini laying on a bed who looked like Rebecca. Um, that folder also had a code at the end of the file name, uh, and it was FZC14, which is 62914, which was the date of her murder. So that's two victims. Um, so he's not technically considered a serial killer. Right. But um, beyond the evidence, victims come forward putting him at the gas station. I'm sorry, not, not victims. Um, witnesses come forward putting him at the gas station when she was abducted. Hell yeah. Yeah. Takes so. a village. Thank God for her regulars. Yeah, seriously. So a lot of Jeffrey's coworkers also mentioned that they had actually gone to that gas station with Jeffrey previously since it was so close to their work, and it was also really close to his house. Okay. So he would hit it on his way to work. Um, one of Jessica's regular customers says that she saw Jeffrey in the gas station the night before her disappearance. Um, she said that she was talking to Jessica about, actually about her concerns about her working late. Um, and also being alone and that she should have like her boyfriend or someone sitting up there. Yeah. Like for the last hour of her shift. And she just kind of was like, yeah, I know. And then Jeffrey actually interrupts the conversation and said that Jessica's customers were looking out for her too. Fuck you. Yeah. Wow. So the regular customer actually looked at Jessica and said that she visibly became uncomfortable with his comment Mm -hmm. so the customer had a really uneasy feeling so she actually waited in her car at the gas station until jeffrey left Mm -hmm. so she was she was looking out for jessica so on in september of 2016 jeffrey is charged with jessica's murder even though no body was found Mm -hmm. um people were pretty concerned that it wouldn't hold up though again because they didn't have a body so who knows if you know she's even dead um and then jeffrey's cousin his name is kevin bloom came forward with information regarding jeffrey's involvement in jessica's disappearing he said that jeff called kevin to come over to his place for a foursome oh yeah Ew, and this is his cousin? Yeah. Oh, my God. So. Just when you thought it can get worse, now there's incest. Yeah. So Kevin walks downstairs, and he sees Jeffrey standing next to a naked woman that he calls Gas Station Girl. Mm. Um, This girl was laying face down on a sheet and says, he said it was Jessica. Yeah. Um, He also said that she had liquid coming out of her mouth that appeared to be blood. She wasn't moving, and he believed she was deceased. So Jeff admitted to him that he sexually assaulted her, and Kevin also noticed that there was a video camera set up, Mm -hmm. so it was implied that Jeffrey was making his own films. Right. Um, Kevin said, too, that he helped bury Jessica's body in a grave that Jeffrey had already dug off of Sheridan Road near Lakedon Avenue. Um, I know that doesn't mean anything to much 
people at least the location i mean right but, but i mean like nah i don't like i know exactly where that is and, yeah <laughs> um so kevin later recants his confession um before he did though he did tell people obviously where they buried jessica's body um and so they went and searched the grounds no body was found um and they also i mean they saw that nobody had ever been there so he lied and the location that he gave police also doesn't match any cell phone like pings okay so um kevin wiped all all data from his phone and deleted all hard drives from his computer and you know he's looking pretty shady too yeah so he is charged with being an accessory to murder um he was released after one year with five years probation and a gps tracker that's it yes he also worked for um a correction center oh my god yeah so don't trust anyone he's a good dude so jeffrey was found guilty in rebecca and jessica's murder and charged with two counts of first degree murder kidnapping and use of a firearm in the commission of a felony um during his trial jeffrey's wife uh actually testified against him along with multiple other witnesses who were there or saw jeffrey the night before or the night of her disappearance um jeffrey's wife actually i watched an interview or i'm sorry i watched her testify like i watched a video of her testifying against him and she had said that they actually separated in 2011 Okay. I don't know when they actually got divorced or if they like got back together. Right. But um, I also stated that there was that they found insulin in his car. Okay. And it was hers. Um, she was diabetic. Oh. And they asked her like, was there any reason that he would have insulin in your in in the car? And she yeah. said, no, absolutely not. Wow. So I don't really know what effect insulin would have on the body if you don't need it. I don't either. But either way, I can imagine it's not good though no probably not so in december of 2019 jeffrey filed for an appeal um saying that they weren't able to prove without reasonable doubt that he killed jessica and that the rape kit linked to him during the the herringa trial in 2018 shouldn't have been admitted into evidence because the kit came into his possession after her disappearance so he didn't have the kit when he took her basically is what they're saying um, his attorney also stated that he was hurt by pre-trial publicity, so the jury... So? Fuck you. Right. So the jury could have, you know, been leaning one way or another. Right. Um, there's no update on that. Um, I'm assuming COVID probably, you know... Yeah, put a damper put on a damper on, Put a damper on his, uh, appeal. Um, right. there were a couple positive things that came out of this. Um, On March 9th, 2018, the Michigan House of Representatives passed a bill that will require convicted defendants to listen to victims' impact statements at sentencing. Um, This was inspired because uh, Jeffrey refused to do so after the Bletch trial. Um, It was passed on May 10th, 2018, and Governor Rick Snyder signed it into law on may 24th 2018 so Mm -hmm. i guess he did one thing right yeah and then there's also something known as jessica's law 
um, on December 9th, 2013, a bill was announced that all gas stations and convenience stores open between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. must maintain a security camera system or have two or more employees on shift during these hours. Good. But unfortunately, it still hasn't been passed. Um, A lot of small businesses are concerned about the cost of maintaining a security system. At, uh, I'm sorry. At the cost of your employees' lives? That's, yeah. That's stupid. Suck it up. Um, But the gas station that Jessica worked at did install security cameras. Good. Um, So, like I said, this happened right up the road from my house. The gas station was like three miles up the road from my house. And Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Willis' house was about five or six miles up the road from my house. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it was... so close. I know. Um, And I I read somewhere, and I couldn't find it, but he actually would, like, look for victims in the mall that I was working in. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's just, like... Did you have blonde hair at the time? I did. It could have been you, Taylor. I know. Well, he didn't... They didn't have, like... He didn't have, like, a type. Like, Rebecca Bletch was a brunette. Oh, um, it was the other guy that had a type. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, that one, I don't know. That one hits close to home. That one does hit close to home, and, you know, they still don't have her body yet, so oh hopefully they're able to figure something out Yeah. and find it, but... It's never too late. Nope. Bring some closure and justice to the family, and... Yeah. Hopefully, Jeffrey Willis rots in prison for the rest of his life. Yeah, for real. But yeah, that's that's all I got on uh, on Jeffrey Willis Sad. and Jessica Herringa. Her poor son. You know. You know. That's just really devastating. Yeah. So next week, Alicia, you're gonna cover a conspiracy. Okay. A conspiracy. A conspiracy. Hmm. I have not looked into conspiracies yet, but I do live a good conspiracy. I'm here for it. Um, next week, Taylor, I'm gonna have you do an alien story. I'm so excited. I I love alien stories. I used to. There's a a show on Netflix called Hangar One. I've never heard of it. Should I watch it? Yeah, it's like a docu series. So it's like, dude, I love docu series. Yeah, docu series is. It's so interesting. Ten out of ten recommend. Yes. Talk yeah. about how aliens are underground and shit. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah, it's... that's a conspiracy. An alien conspiracy. Wow. Wow. What a cross. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. All Ooh. right. Well, episode two in the book. What time are we at right now? We are at an almost an hour and a half. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. bad. So. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We love you. We appreciate you. Always. We're so excited to be doing this for you. You sound really excited. Yeah, we could probably just cut this, but, um, yeah, um, (laughs) Anyanhasio. I'm so annoying. I'm so sorry. Anyway, um, you can find us on Twitter at Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Pod, And our Gmail is creepyweegeepod at gmail.com. Again, we would love to hear your stories if you want to send any in. And like we said, if maybe we'll do a listener. Also, if you have like suggestions for us, if you hear that like next week we're doing a conspiracy or an alien story and you have something that you really want to hear um we would love to give you guys what you want so absolutely don't be afraid to send us an email hell yeah
All right. Adios, amigos. Adios.